Father, we thank you today for the light of Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be drawn into your presence right now. God, thank you for reminding us how much we need you and how available you are to us. Uh, as you draw us to your, your presence today, God, we want to worship you. We want to glorify you. We thank you for the songs that you put in our heart today to draw us into your presence, to draw us to, to see you fully, to draw us to see uh, that face of Jesus that smiles upon us today as we're drawn to you in worship. God, we realize that if, if we come in here today and if we do not connect with you, if we do not open up our lives to you, if we are not drawn into your presence and lift up your name and worship you, then we've wasted our time. And we don't want to do that, God. We want to, to know you for who you are. We want to celebrate your greatness today. We want to celebrate the fact that you are the way maker to take us from the depths of our need today into the promises of all that you provided for us. And so right now, God, as we continue to worship through your word, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear you. Our lives would be drawn into your presence. And God, the answer to whatever you ask us to do today would be yes. We want you to be the King of kings and Lord of lords that you are in our life. And we continue now to celebrate that as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you're one of our children, feel free to take off now and head back to your place of worship. Uh, and we appreciate the opportunity to join together as a church in uh, a unified family experience. Uh, we're at the close of today. Uh, we have a question that we want to uh, celebrate with you for you to ask among yourself at the table or uh, at lunch and through the afternoon, and especially if you have children who are in the worship center, the children's center today, uh, that same question will be in their minds and their lives as, uh, as we leave here today as well. Esther chapter 4 is where God takes us today. Some of you have been with us through the month of January, and you know we've looked at uh, the previous three chapters of the book of Esther. And today we continue that drama, continue that story with Esther chapter 4. Uh, we've been introduced to a king who is a prideful king, uh, who is a selfish king. Uh, some of his assistants uh, advised him to do away with his wife who would not follow through with his demand for her. Um, last week we learned that uh, there was uh, a right-hand man of the king named Haman, who uh, wanted everybody to bow down and worship him. Uh, Mordecai, who was a Jew, would not bow down before Haman. And so consequently, Haman tricked the king into issuing an edict to have every Jew on the planet of the earth killed. Uh, and that's where we pick up today. So chapter 4 of Esther, uh, beginning with verse 1, I'll read it aloud and you follow along. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to keep it open. And follow with us today. Uh, these words will be on the screen as well. Esther chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, 
Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud cry and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her. And he ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants... And, and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, day, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Everywhere you turn today, I think you will agree with me that there's a crisis in the world. There, uh, there, there are crises in families, crises in countries, crises around the world. Our reaction to a crisis is usually dependent on how it directly affects us, either physically or mentally or some other way. A few decades ago, I found myself in what I called a crisis. I called one of my dear friends who is a really, really, really good counselor. And I said, I'm in a crisis. And he on the telephone answered back and said, well, are you at the emergency room at the hospital? Are you bleeding? 
And so I described my situation to him, and here's what he said. He said, Ronnie, it sounds to me like you have an opportunity, not a crisis. What would you say if you had to describe the greatest crisis in our world today? Uh, if, you, if you Google it, if you call on Siri or Alexa or some of this fancy technology and ask them, what's the greatest crisis in the world? Here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear uh, climate change. That's the greatest crisis in the world. Or you're going to hear world hunger, which is serious, but you will hear that that's the greatest crisis in the world. You'll hear maybe the collapse of our world economic system. Or maybe you'll hear um, something like world war is about to break out. And that's the biggest crisis in the world. Maybe you'll even hear something like, you know, we are in a mental health crisis in our world. All of these things that I've just listed are serious things. All that you hear coming back from technology, coming back from the Internet, uh, these, are, these are serious issues. But I would argue today that they might not be the biggest crisis in the world. In Mark Sayers' book, Reappearing Church, he says that renewal follows periods of crisis, change, and transition. Now, I would agree that, that we are in a world today that uh, we're bombarded with the idea of crisis. Everything's urgent. But Sayers wants us to see, and I believe God's truth today wants us to see, that with every one of these issues, there are opportunities. And those opportunities point toward the biggest crisis in the world, as we will explain as we look at this scripture today. See, we have an opportunity to turn the world crisis environment, whatever may be shouting at us from the world, into a time of spiritual renewal, and a time of turning people back to the source of all crisis. And that's God Himself. See, standing for our Christian convictions can open the door to opportunity for us. Last week at the end of Esther chapter 3, we left this Persian king, Ahasuerus, and his right-hand man, Haman, celebrating over drinks. I mean, they were having this big party and Morgan explained to us that they were symbols of Satan's power and Satan's work in the world today. They reveled at the plan to kill all Jews on the face of the earth. So the world was in a crisis. God's world seemed to be in a great time of crisis. However, this crisis just opened the door for opportunity for God to work through two people, Mordecai and Esther, in order to save his chosen people. So how could they turn this crisis into an opportunity? How can you make a difference today? In areas where you feel like the world may be caving in on you, in areas where pressure might be caving in on you, how can you take crises that exist in your world today and turn them into opportunity? You're here today in this same world created by this same God 
who was in the world of Esther and Mordecai and all the characters in the story of Esther. Same world, same God, and we have the same opportunities today. So let's look at how we can make a difference in our world today. Let's look at how we can take the crisis that we may be facing and turn it into an opportunity to point toward God and the world's need for God and the answer that we have through the heart of God. There are four episodes in this story that I want to guide us through today that remind us how we can make a difference in times of crisis by looking for opportunities. And that's where I want our hearts to focus today through our, through our minds. The first episode is a time of mourning. We see that in verse 1. When Mordecai learned of Haman's plan, he was in deep distress, verse 1 tells us. He tore off his clothes, he put on sackcloth, which would be like a burlap sack, he covered his head with ashes, and he cried out with a bitter cry. Uh, this was to let everybody know that there was a crisis that God's people needed to know about. Their, their very existence was at stake. Today, we would probably go to the Internet and post a concern like this on Facebook or on some other social media. We would want the world to know the concern that we had for the crisis that was around us. So Mordecai went public with his distress. In verse 2, he went up to the entrance of the king's gate where everyone would see his distress. And then in verse 3, because of his concern and example, the humble nation joined in mourning with fasting and weeping and lamenting, the Bible says. And many of them lay in sackcloth. They had these burlap sacks put on them and they lay in ashes so that they could disclose the fact that they were in mourning. They were grieving over the crisis of their nation. It was their way of posting to family and friends like we would today, as I said on Facebook, about a great concern, a great crisis. You know, like, like Mordecai, we can turn mourning and grieving over injustice, over crisis situations, into an opportunity to honor God in a godly way, a concerned way. Uh, we can make a difference in our world today by paying attention to things that should concern us. We should be concerned about what God is concerned about. And this is no mystery. What is God concerned about today? He's concerned about the same thing today as He was during Esther's day, during the time of Genesis and Exodus and so forth. Take, for example, the, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments display for us what God is concerned about. The first commandment is to have no other gods before God. You think that concerns God? Of course it does. Do we have a culture today, a world environment today, a community environment today where other gods are put before God? Of course we do. God says you, you shouldn't bow down to any other idols. You shouldn't serve any other idols. Nothing should take priority over God in the lives of people today. You think that's a reality in our world today? 
You take the bottom half of the Ten Commandments, the practical, not to murder, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to covet what, what somebody else has. Every single one of these issues, I mean, Jesus wrapped it up like this. Jesus said, there are basically two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Does that describe our world today? Well, I'm not sure it describes our world today any better than it did what in, in the day of Esther and the challenge that she was facing. So my point is, we should be concerned about what God is concerned about. Love God, not idols, putting idols before God. Treat people the way God treats people. We're in a crisis today about living life according to God's standard. And so Mordecai did what was practical. He entered into a time of fasting, mourning, weeping, lamenting. Uh, fasting is, you know, in, in our culture today, popular is popular to, you know, do, do this fasting thing. And the purpose is to gain weight, I mean, to lose weight, uh, <laughs> to, uh, hope I got your attention on that one, to... Um, you know, uh, feel better, you know, to feel good, to be energetic, and that kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not really biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is when you do not eat or drink or something that you do every day for a purpose of taking that time and taking that energy and turning that energy toward God to call on Him for guidance. To call on Him for your crisis, for your concern. How long has it been since you got on your face before God and cried out to God with mourning and grieving and crying because of a spiritual concern that people you care about, people in your life, or maybe something in your own life is Causing you to feel a spirit of, of crisis. See, I would challenge us today to, to, to follow Mordecai's example. And when we think about the condition of people in our circle of friends who are far from God, who are running away from God, who are not even aware of God maybe, to be concerned about that to the degree that we mourn and grieve and fast and turn to God asking for guidance and asking for His deliverance. Crying out to God for help is the purpose of the mourning of Mordecai. And I pray you and I will catch that spirit today as well. So episode one, turn crisis into an opportunity by fasting and praying and crying out to God for guidance and for His intervention. Episode number two then is a time of disclosure, a time of disclosure. Uh, verse 4 reminds us that Esther became distressed when she heard what Mordecai was experiencing. Verse 4, when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Two points here. Number one, Esther cared about her uncle Mordecai. 
She was compassionate for him because she knew that King Ahasuerus would not allow anyone to be sad in his presence, in his, in his, in his palace. And Mordecai was right outside the gate in sackcloth and ashes, which infuriated King Ahasuerus if he found out about it. And so Esther had compassion on her uncle and she cared about him. And so she wanted him to take off the sackcloth and wipe, out, wipe off the ashes and put on fresh clothes. She didn't really understand what, what Mordecai was experiencing, but at the same time, she cared about her family member. Let me say that again. She cared about her family member. Picture her now. She's the queen of a man who is the king over 27 provinces. He's the most powerful man in the world in his day, and she's his wife. She's his queen. She could have stepped aside from her family. She could have said... That's not my problem now. I don't live in that world anymore. I'm the queen of the world. I'm the queen of the most powerful person in the world. And she could have stayed in her comfort, stayed in the position that she held, which was rightfully hers at that, at that point. And yet that's not the position that she took. She remembered where she came from. She remembered that if... If her uncle Mordecai had not adopted her into his family after her parents died, she probably would have perished. She probably would have died. But he cared about her in her growing up years. And he invested in her in her growing up years. And she remembered that. She remembered where she came from. The greatest crisis in our world today, I believe, is someone... Dying without Jesus and going to hell. If you do not have your sins forgiven, repent of your sins and turn away from your sins and turn back to God through the gift of Jesus, the precious gift of Jesus, you're going to hell. It grieves my heart to say that about anyone. But the greatest crisis in the world today is the fact that there are people going to hell that we don't care anything about. We're not willing to follow the example of Mordecai and say there's help available and you may hold the keys to that help to take someone out of that greatest crisis in the world and give them the information that they need to make a good decision by the impulse of the Holy Spirit to get saved and follow Jesus and spend eternity in heaven with Him. How we treat our family matters. We give them everything we possibly can and my challenge that I've received this week from this passage, this part of this passage is that I need to be bolder in sharing the hope of the world in Jesus with people that I care about, people in my family. Esther dug deep. 
Her first response was to meet their physical, the physical needs of Mordecai and send him clothes. That wasn't what he needed. That wasn't what she needed. But she did what she thought she should do, and then she became enlightened. She dug deeper for adequate information from Mordecai about what he really did need. So in verses 5 through 7, she took steps to discover the source of her uncle's mourning. In verse 5, then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. And Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. So Esther took action. She took action in order to help her uncle. And in our technological world today, there's really no excuse for not staying in touch with people who really matter in our life. Uh, I know there's a lot about social media and Facebook and that kind of thing that some generational people are not really into. Others really are. But we can find out where people are and what really is going on in their life if we really want to, is my point in our day-to-day. So what did Mordecai do? He sent critical information back to Esther in verse 7. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He disclosed the factual information And that was essential for Esther to know. And that's our job as believers as well. See, Jesus loves everyone. He loves our human family. And we have the opportunity, the privilege, to make sure that everyone we have influence over knows the truth. Now, we're not responsible for their response. But we are responsible for sharing the truth of the gospel with people who we care about. So what do we share? What do we share with people? We say, Ronnie, what are you talking about sharing the gospel? If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 14, tell us what needs to be disclosed The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what everybody needs to hear. That's what every man, woman, and child on the Grand Strand and in South Carolina and America and around the world need to know. Verse 10 says, for with your heart one believes and is justified and with your mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our job, our privilege, our opportunity is to make sure that people that we care about know the truth. And the truth is, when one calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that He was God in the flesh who came to earth to live as a human, live in the flesh, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died on the cross for His blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sins and everyone's sin. 
And then he didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel truth. And we have the privilege in verse 12. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? And whom they've not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We have the opportunity to share the greatest message for meeting the greatest crisis in human history. And it starts with caring about our family and our friends and then expands to our world family. How can they hear unless somebody shares? And Esther reminds us through Mordecai that that somebody could be you and could be me. I've heard people say, you know, it's unkind to tell someone that they're going to hell. You know what, really? The, the opposite's really true. The most unkind thing you could do, the most inhuman thing you could do, is not tell somebody about Jesus. Allow them just to go their way without knowing Jesus. In verses 8 and 9, Mordecai knew that Esther held the key to the survival of the people of God. And so he boldly challenged her. He commanded her to take action. He commanded her to go before the king on behalf of her people. Today, you can make a difference when you take the message, the simple message of Jesus Christ and share it with people that you care about. Jesus, by the way, gave a stronger command than Mordecai did to Esther. Mordecai commanded Esther to go before the king. When Jesus rose from the dead just before he went back into heaven and took his place at the right hand of God, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the Bible says, All authority is given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. And then he says to you and me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go alone. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's critically important to not just come to church and not just say that you're a Christian. It's important to live and to share the truth of the gospel and follow the command, follow the order that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to those who are his disciples. Disclosing the reality of sin and the cost of sin might be risky to a relationship that you have, but it's essential to tell the truth, to tell the gospel truth. And we have the opportunity to disclose the truth of the gospel to people in our lives today. That leads to episode number three. Episode number three is a time of questioning. Uh, see, Esther understood the risk. In verse 10 and 11, she stated the fact that 
everybody knew that they risked their life if they approached the king without being called into his presence. And so her question was legitimate. And this was the turning point in all of Jewish history. Mordecai had taught Esther the history of Abraham and Isaac, the promise that God had made to Abraham that he was going to send the Savior into the world through the family of Abraham. She knew that story. Mordecai had told her that story. She knew the story of Moses and the Red Sea. We talked about last week, Morgan explained to us where, you know, Moses took the children of Israel, a million or so of them, and behind them, the, the army of the Egyptians were mounted coming after them to destroy them. In front of them was the Red Sea. And what did God do? God opened up the sea and allowed his people to walk across on dry ground. She knew that story because Mordecai had told her that story. She knew the story of Jericho when Joshua led the children of Israel after the, the 40 years of wandering in the desert. God used Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the promised land so that the promise of Abraham could be fulfilled. And God told Joshua to march around the city once for six days, and then on the seventh day, march around the city for seven days, and the walls would come down, and they could go in and take the plunder of the city without much of a battle. She knew that story. She knew that God was faithful. But she had to have a time of questioning when it came to her life. If I go before the king without being asked to come, I'm going to die. He's going to kill me. He knew what the king had done to his former queen for her simply not bowing down at his request. She knew that history. She knew that story. When you share the gospel truth with someone, don't be surprised if they have questions. It's a good thing for people to ask questions. Usually people hear the gospel and, and they, may, they may say, what will it cost me to follow Jesus? That's a good question. People need to ask that question. There is a cost to following Jesus. What will I have to give up to follow Jesus, somebody might ask. What changes do I have to make in my life if I choose to follow you? Those are good questions. People need to be able to ask questions. And Esther asked her question because her life was at stake. So God allows us to be put in situations where unless He moves, it's hopeless. And really, that's true with a lot of our lives. A lot of the crisis that we face, unless God moves, we're hopeless. You look at the political system in our world today, unless God moves, we're hopeless. You look at uh, some of you that are going through uh, distress and family issues and relational issues and financial issues today, and unless God moves, it's hopeless. But this story reminds us that that's who God is. He's the God who moves best in hopeless situations. And if you find yourself there today, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because the gospel is about bringing hope out of hopeless situations. 
The Bible is about God. I mean, the most hopeless situation we can think of is death. And look what God did through Jesus. He gave us victory over death. Death is not the end. Jesus arose from the grave, setting the standard for us to realize that one day when we die, and surely we probably will, but we will be raised again for eternity. Praise God. The Bible is very clear. God said, it's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And when people ask questions about knowing God and following God, it opens up the opportunity for us to point them to the Savior, to point them to Jesus. You may be here today and you may be going through a crisis, a struggle. God is shouting out to you to come to Him, to trust Him, to turn your life to Him, and let Him bring life out of death in your situation as well. Questions people ask are opportunities to point them to Jesus. We have a coaching process available here at this church, and it's designed to help us walk through what it means to come to know Jesus and then grow in our faith in Jesus. New believers ask questions, and you want to ask questions, because every question you ask opens up an opportunity for God to give you his life, and his answer. Questions are an open door. Open door to opportunities to share the gospel truth. One of my favorite authors is Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn wrote a, wrote a book entitled Heaven. He takes all the verses in the Bible about heaven and then blends them together in a story about heaven. But right in the middle of that book, he does something really interesting. He talks about the fact that not only is heaven a reality? You can't believe in heaven, though, without understanding that there's a hell. Not everybody is going to heaven. And when people ask questions, when people ask questions about life, crises, the best thing we can do is point them to the Savior of the world, to Jesus, for the answer. So in verse 12, Esther sent her reply, and that leads us to our final episode for today, the time of decision. In verse 13 and 14, Mordecai challenged Esther. He says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. What was he saying, Esther? Either way, you're looking down the barrel of death. You know, whatever choice you make could lead to death. Sometimes the truth seems harsh, but there's something sobering about the truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, our Savior Jesus said, If you abide in my word and you're truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Tickling people's ears with easy answers to tough questions does not represent the truth. Sometimes we must be bold and challenge someone when they push back against the gospel message. Because it's better not to let them die in their sin and go to hell at the expense of sharing the gospel truth with them. 
Remember, you're, you're just the messenger. Mordecai trusted the providence of God because God has a track record with working miracles in the lives of His people. Look at verse 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your family's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There are two providential statements that Mordecai made to Esther at this point. The first one was, if, if you don't step up and face the king, God's going to raise up somebody because he's made a promise to Abraham that the Savior is coming through the Jewish line. But you and your family are going to perish. And then he said, who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What is providence? What is providence? In Article 4 of our church's statement of what we believe, look at what the Bible teaches about providence. God from eternity decrees or permits all things that come to pass and perpetually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures and events. Yet so as not in any way to be the author or approver of sin, nor to destroy the free will and responsibility of intelligent creatures. Mordecai knew this. He said to Esther, <laughs> you can be used by God to save his people. But if you choose not to, he's going to raise somebody else up who will. Your choice you can choose to be God's agent for opportunity or you can take the route of maybe dying for no purpose at all, no cause at all. Are you aware that you can make a difference in sharing the gospel with people that you care about? You have the opportunity to just live the gospel and share the gospel with people in your family and circle of friends who need to know the gospel. God works His will through people who are willing to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that's what Mordecai was saying to Esther. And Esther got the message. In verse 15 and 16, she made a decision. Her apparent crisis was an opportunity to lead her people to seek God. So she took the opportunity to say back to Mordecai in verse 15 and 16, call for a three-day fast among the Jews in the city and join me and my peers because we're going to fast also. And that decision that she made changed the history of her life. Changed the history of our world. She's remembered today for the famous words that drive this decision. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Wow, what a bold, courageous statement. For you and me today, sharing the gospel is a decision that we have to make every day. Every single day. 
And there's a risk that we take when we share. It might not seem like a life and death risk, but for some people it is. It's an eternal life or death decision. Eternal life or death. You run the risk of being rejected, maybe. But it is a risk. You can take the opportunity, risk the opportunity, and allow someone else to spend their eternity in heaven with Jesus. So Esther told Mordecai to call for that fast, and Mordecai followed through. He did what she asked him to do. Mordecai told Esther to take a risk going before the king, and we'll find out next week that she was courageous and actually take it. She not only made a decision to do it, she followed through with that decision. And this set the stage for the greatest decision in human history to occur. See, the hope of the world was preserved because of a decision that Mordecai and Esther made. I want to invite you to take the communion elements that are in the seat near you and hold them in your hand just for a minute. Uh, these communion elements include, first of all, the bread and also the cup. Um, see, Jesus did come into the world and become human flesh so that he could willingly be tortured and crucified, shed his blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world. He died for us. And then three days later, he arose from the grave to give you victory over death. Death no longer holds us bondage. Some of you today need to invite Jesus to come into your heart and trust Him as your Lord and Savior. These elements are for believers. Those who have said, yes, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. These elements are for believers who say, I have followed the command of Jesus to follow Him in believer's baptism. And to commit my life daily to walking with Him and living with Him. So, as you hold these elements, I want you to be willing to think of your relationship. Have you made that commitment of your life to Jesus? Nobody knows that but you. And if you've not done that, you can do it right now so that taking communion can have real meaning for you. Significance for you. Esther decided to make a difference. And today, God may be calling you to make a difference by trusting Him for the first time in your life and saying, yes, <clears throat> I believe that Jesus is my Savior. See, we have the opportunity today to turn the crisis of this world environment into a time of spiritual renewal. And it starts with you and me in our world, in our world. So as you look at these elements, ask yourself, have I trusted Jesus to be my Savior? 
Have I trusted him to save me from the penalty of my sin? But then there's a third <clears throat> application to this story today for you and me. See, in chapter 3 last week in Esther, we learned of Haman's plan to kill all the Jews. That plan was designed to happen on the day after Passover. Haman didn't know his biblical history. He didn't know his world history. He didn't know the hand of God working in history. Because God had already shown that he was going to be the Savior of the world through Israel. And the blood over the doorpost kept the children of Israel alive as the death angel passed over that day before the first Passover. Today, don't go away from here without trusting the blood of Jesus to set you free from your sin. <clears throat> Satan thought he had defeated the plan of Jesus when he sent him to the cross. But what Satan didn't know was the history of God. God's plan was to send Jesus to be our Savior. And so today, just as on that night before Jesus was crucified, and he said to his disciples, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me until I come. As you eat the bread today and drink the cup, celebrate the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Celebrate the fact that every crisis in this world is an opportunity for you, because you know Jesus, to point Jesus to the Savior of whatever that crisis might be. God, thank you today that your death and resurrection seal for us your salvation story that was perpetuated through your faithful servant, Esther, and her uncle Mordecai. And I pray today as we eat this bread, we remember that you came to love us. That as we drink this cup, we'll remember that your blood sets us free from the penalty of our sin and saves us from our sin. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're saying, God, we want you to take our life and use it as an opportunity for the gospel to continue to be spread around the world. In Jesus' name now, we worship and celebrate. Amen. And that's what communion is all about. <clears throat> communion is all about saying to God, God, I want to know Jesus. And I want to make all of life about Him. Father, help us when we ask questions about where You're leading to turn to the truth of Your Word that discloses the fact that we need Jesus. May this communion remind us that we can make a difference in the world because you've left us here to know you and to make all of life about you so others can come to know you through the life that we live and the words of truth that we're willing to speak into their lives. God, thank you for Jesus today. And we continue to celebrate you now as we stand together and worship in Jesus' name. Amen.